1: you've tuned in to columbia calling your first stop for everything you want to know about Colombia. how and where to invest where to visit from the pacific to the caribbean the andes mountains to the amazon jungle Colombia has a slice of everything Shooting from the hip, answering the questions that need answering. Here's your host, the journalist and hotelier Richard McCall, shedding some light on the fashionable South American destination of... Columbia. It's that time of the week again, folks. This is me, your host, Richard McCall, here in Bogota, Colombia, 2,600 meters closer to the stars. And this is episode 486 of the Colombia Calling podcast. You'll need no introduction to our guest. He's been on the podcast several times. It's Sergio Guzman, the director of Colombia Risk Analysis, everything you ever wanted to know or needed to know about, uh, let's say, political analysis, uh, economic analysis, social analysis in Colombia. He has kindly kindly uh, he kindly suggested that he come on to talk about their recent report, which is an excellent report. You just go to ColombiaRiskAnalysis.com, and it's available there on the landing page, and it's about the upcoming elections on the 29th of October in Colombia. These are local elections, and they are a referendum on the presidency and the government of Gustavo Petro, President Gustavo Petro, and he has given us sort of four points on what is going to happen and why people will vote the way they will vote. We try and keep it light. I can't try and, you know, make it more of a conversation. But the outlook for Colombia, given the October 29th elections, is relatively bleak we would say relatively bleak but very interesting indeed and of course to hear it from an expert political analyst is always very much uh, of interest to everyone so of course do not do not miss out on this episode keep listening we have Emily Hart of course the ineffable Emily Hart coming up now with the Columbia News Brief of course that goes out Early on Mondays to our subscribers and those of you who are on Patreon and helping us out www.patreon.com if we are able to record on YouTube prior to uh well the week's episode you get that a week earlier the week earlier for our episodes as well so if you can't hold on and you are champing at the bit to see or listen to the next columbia calling podcast well they're usually available to our patreon supporters on youtube a week beforehand and that brings me to our next episode we're going to be talking to tyler schwab who worked originally for operation underground railroad and now has his own foundation Called Libertas, and it's about uh, obviously getting uh, well. Say prosecuting people that come down here for nefarious deeds such as uh, child prostitution and so on. And we're focusing on the cities of Cartagena and Medellin and the new movie with, uh, I think it's uh, Jim Casavio, or however you say his name. Uh, So we'll have to talk about that. I have not seen the movie, so disclaimer on that one. But we're going to talk about his work and prosecuting these criminals who come down here taking advantage of the least, uh, well, the you know, the most at risk in Colombia's society. So a fascinating, if serious episode coming up next week with uh, Tyler Schwab. Anyhow, we will be back as always every week with new episodes. Thank you to everyone who signed up. Thank you for journalist Natalia Malaver's uh, inputs and efforts for last week when we talked about the Mennonite communities in south-central Colombia in Meta, near to Puerto uh, Gaitan, huge Mennonite community, not in number of people, but in terrain. And of course, Oscar Parra of Rutas, Rutas del Conflicto, who investigated that and of course has revealed that to the world and how the economics of this community have permeated of course into colombia's uh, economy and uh, agricultural economy so a fascinating episode last week if you haven't listened to it already please listen to that we are chasing up some incredible people to have on the podcast in the future so stay tuned of course thank you again for listening and of course stay listening for the colombian news brief and then our conversation with sergio guzman about the elections in october bye-bye The Columbia Calling podcast is sponsored by Latin News, a leading source of political and economic analysis on Latin America and the Caribbean since 1967. Their flagship publication, the Latin American Weekly Report, provides a behind-the-scenes briefing on all the week's key developments throughout the region. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at latinnews.com. We are also sponsored by... BNB Colombia Tours, which is a leading tour operator providing a wonderful range of exclusive small group shared tours for those over 50, along with customizable private tours to both popular and off-the-map destinations throughout this beautiful and diverse country. If you're interested in experiencing one of their unforgettable journeys through Colombia, be it a shared tour with like-minded travelers or creating a unique, private package of your own, just complete the form on the Columbia Calling website, that's www.columbiacalling.co, or the BNB Columbia Tours website, that's www.bnbcolumbia.com, and they'll be in touch within 24 hours to answer all of your questions and to start the planning of your exclusive Colombian adventure. So that's bnbcolumbia.com and Latin News. Com. Thank you for supporting our sponsors.
2: I'm Emily Hart and these are your headlines for the week of September the 11th, 2023. Colombia has a new record for coca cultivation and cocaine production. The number of hectares of coca plant rose from 204,000 to 230,000 hectares, and the tons of drugs that can be produced has now reached 1,738, the highest figures ever recorded according to the annual report of the United Nations Integrated Illicit Crop Monitoring System. The statistics confirm Colombia as the world's leading producer of coca leaf and cocaine. This news comes in the same week that the Latin American and Caribbean Conference on Drugs was held in the Colombian city of Cali, with delegates from 15 countries led by Mexico and Colombia. The conference hoped to consolidate a new vision for international drugs policy which prioritises life, peace and development over war. Colombia and Mexico have been the countries in the region hardest hit by drug trafficking. The leaders of the two countries have agreed on the need to demilitarize drug policy and favor a public health approach, fighting poverty to tackle the issue of violence. Also key is the joint stance that both countries can take on their relationship with the United States, a major consumer of illicit drugs and opiates, as well as a key player in Latin American drug policy. The USA, however, attended the event only as an observer, not as a participant. However, Mexican President Andrés Manuel López Obrador did acknowledge that Mexico must not turn its back on the fentanyl issue in the USA, regarding which Mexico has, as he put it, a moral obligation. The 15 participating countries jointly recognize that drugs policy has been flawed and that it generates violence. The participants agreed to take joint responsibility for producing public policies based on scientific evidence, prioritizing rehabilitation, education, prevention and public health approaches. The Colombian government also used the Cali conference to present its own national drugs policy based on human rights protection and environmental conservation, including an investment of 21 billion pesos. The policy is designed for the next 10 years, aiming however to reduce cocaine production by around 40% in the remaining three years of this government's term. There is also a focus on helping families who make their living from coca cultivation to transition to legal products. Meanwhile, Cartagena has hosted a global meeting of development banks who have met to discuss solutions to issues like gender equality, the rising cost of credit, persistent inflation, climate change, and the aftermath of the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Representatives of around 500 public development banks from over 120 countries emerged with a consensus that the attainment of social, economic, and environmental goals has been lacking. Colombian President Gustavo Petro closed the conference with a speech making clear that profit could not be a consideration in the fight against deforestation and climate change. He alluded to the responsibility of business, industrialization and developed countries for global warming. The market cannot solve the climate crisis that it produced, he said in his closing speech. The fourth round of talks between the government and the ELN guerrilla group, the Ejército de Liberación Nacional, has ended with an agreement on social programs and increased military intervention in violence-stricken areas of Colombia. These include Bajo Cauca, northeast of Antioquia and parts of Choco. Also, as part of this government's total peace policy, two of Buenaventura's key armed groups, Los Chotas y Los Espartanos, have extended their ceasefire for a further two months to alleviate the humanitarian situation caused by their clashes and to give the government talks a further opportunity for success. This follows a serious flare-up in violence in July, a month in which the city saw 35 homicides. The president has asked the prosecutor's office to investigate death threats made online against his eldest daughter, 32-year-old Andrea Petro, who has lived in France for some years. A prosecutor from the Specialized Directorate Against Human Rights Violation has begun investigation and has already announced that the perpetrators have been identified and will be brought in for questioning. Former Congressman Arturo Char has been jailed in Colombia upon arrival from Miami on charges of corruption and vote buying in the 2018 Congressional election. He has declared his innocent and claims that former Congresswoman Aida Merlano, his alleged accomplice, is lying about his involvement. She herself was convicted in 2019. The Char clan, the most powerful political family on the Atlantic coast, are no strangers to legal trouble. David Char, Arturo's uncle, is in prison for links to paramilitary groups. His brother, Alex Char, meanwhile, is running for mayor of Barranquilla, currently with a huge majority of voting intentions in the city. A retired military captain from Colombia, Herman Rivera, has pleaded guilty to charges of assassinating Haiti's president, Jovenel Moïse, in 2021. Rivera is accused by the U.S. justice system of having recruited and organized the group of 28 assassins, 26 of whom were Colombian. Rivera is being prosecuted in Florida by the U.S. government under a law known as Universal Jurisdiction, which allows the U.S. to investigate crimes committed anywhere in the world, as long as its financial system has been used to finance the crime. Those were your headlines for this week. Thanks for listening. And
1: we're back. This is Columbia Calling episode 486. This is a election, an election special. We're talking to Sergio Guzman from Columbia Risk Analysis, a great friend to the Columbia Calling podcast, been on probably more than 10 times now, but he's my go-to guy about politics in Colombia. And we're going to talk about the elections and what's going on. The elections, of course, are national de- elections on the 29th of October. Sergio, welcome back. Richard, it's such a pleasure to be back. Uh, and to all the listeners of this
0: podcast, I don't think it's been 10 times, but <laughs> let's make it 10 times. It's, well, it's we'll it wonderful. 10. It's wonderful to, to get everybody's comments and get feedback from people on, on the stuff that we, that we write and the stuff that we put out there. So it's always nice to be back.
1: Well, you are the most quotable man in Colombia. And everybody looks you up for any analysis. And of course, sound bites in the press. And so therefore, it seems seems only right to get you on there. Can we also give a big hand to Sergio because he's a new father. Uh, So there we go him and Jimena, a new father, nothing like it. Uh, How is this affecting your work?
0: well, (laughs) there's priorities, right? And the baby is the priority, So no, no, no sort of you know event. So I, I was invited to a cocktail fra- by a client, and I'm like, I really can't do that, right? <laughs> like I need to be home at 5:30 to bath, to for the bath, right? I need to I need to get up at five so that the baby gets up, um, and then get to work. You know, obviously I get. I try to be as present a parent as I can, mm. with with the limitations that running a business also has. Yeah. So yeah. kudos to my wife uh, <laughs> for all that she has to withstand, and Alba probably uh, knows too. Oh yeah. Um, but 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 I also think you know there's 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 a great deal of inequality in terms of how women and men have to face. Um, oh, yeah. Lactation, pregnancy, maternity, postpartum, things like that. And, and, you know, I'm much more attuned to that now that I'm seeing it firsthand. It's very different from reading about it, or sympathizing with with the feminist movement. But it's another very different thing um, to to see your wife go through this uh, and having those sort of very, you know, you I want to be at home with a kid. But I also have to be here at work, right? And I don't have—I had two weeks of paternity leave in Colombia. That's—that's—that's that's, that's it, right? Uh, there's an ongoing project for men to have uh, two months of paternity, leave, which now I'm all in favor of because I can—I can understand why, right? Um, it so but it's—it's difficult. It's difficult. the The baby was born back to politics. The baby was born the same day that the Laura Saravia. Scandal happened, so as soon as the baby was born, I was getting calls from journalists, some analysts uh from radio stations because they wanted to know what the implications of this was um, so I had to put that on hold for a few days, but then obviously uh the scandal has grown and grown and grown um and it's made it sort of
1: inevitable yeah so, so that hasn't gone away, and of course, Laura Sarabia what she's like. A, what, we, what do we call her, her position in the government? Because she's come back. She's now in a different position, right?
0: She's now the head of the Colombian Social Prosperity Department. Uh-huh. Um, and that is the department in charge of doing all the social subsidies uh, and will be placed under the Ministry of Equality under okay. Francia Marquez.
1: And mm. she was like the, the first aid. I think to Petro. Okay. She was the chief of staff. Yeah, chief of the, staff. The of chief the of staff. staff of the president. Okay. And so the scandal, and we'll quickly get the past that because, of course, you know we go. Uh, you've done quite a nice segue into politics, but um, the the scandal is it's money. And it's more than money, Richard. Suitcases of cash, and whomever else, Nicholas Petro, I'm sure, is somewhere in there.
0: Suitcases of cash, but also the way that they interrogated. the... Um, the nanny that they had hired mm-hmm. because the nanny had allegedly traveled in a charter aircraft <laughs> to Venezuela to meet with Armando Benedetti on a number of occasions and then came back and gave revelations to Revista Semana about the, the money that Laura Saravia allegedly had in suitcases, right? But Laura Saravia accused the nanny of stealing $7,000, right? But a charter flight to Venezuela cost $21,000. Yes. So, It's not about the money. I don't think it's about the money. I think there's a lot more to dig into this. Um, And we're only, you know, we're only touching the surface here. Uh, Of course, the police colonel in charge of presidential security and investigation uh, committed suicide as ruled by the forensic authorities. There's a lot of skepticism that that happened. And now several of the police officers that actually interrogated the nanny, are now being indicted for abuse of power. Which, of course, was it abuse of power of their own uh, sort of uh, volition, or was it abuse of power at the direction of somebody? We don't know that yet. Um, But Laura Sarabia, now, by being the head of the Department of Social Prosperity, now uh, answers to the Supreme Court of Justice, as opposed to the Attorney General's office. And so, you know, this is going to be a long-winded telenovela, Richard.
1: So if you, you keep her out of, uh, as you said, you keep her in the Supreme Court and not under Barbosa, who is effectively opposition to the government, very clever. Uh, anyway, I, I think we're confusing. We, I don't want to confuse my list as much because this is this is just one of those things that, uh, all the pieces are not fitting together yet there's a lot missing um, but it also heralds a good way of, of of talking about the corruption and the revelations of corruption that are taking place right now and of course these then feed into elections uh very very comfortably on the 29th of October i we've got gustavo petro president petro uh, the There's the continuation of the Odebrecht scandal. It's only taken six years to get this far, whereas in the other countries in Peru and Dominican Republic and elsewhere, you know, it unraveled much faster. But here it's taken six years. But these things are ongoing. Uh, Luis Carlos Sarmiento involved, of course, and uh, paying a big fine up there in in the U.S. that was uh, therefore covered in the press here as though he would been exonerated, which was very interesting. But if we talk about another issue that's going on, the thing that's very key in the press right now, and it it was getting coverage, you know, I mean, you would say cover to cover coverage, a better way of saying it, is Laura Ardila Arrieta's book, La Costa Nostra. So, so it's kind of like a play on words about the Costa Nostra. Um, and it's about the Cha family. And of course, well, in recent days, one of the chars has, you know, there's an Interpol uh, arrest out for him, and uh, the chars are those that control, well, much more than just the Department of uh, Atlantico on the Caribbean coast. This is the political clan that controls Inter Magdalena and elsewhere uh, the, up there in Atlantico. Can we talk just a quick, a quick bit? What, what does this mean? This, this, let's say, arrest warrant out for is it Antonio Antonio Char? Yeah. No, it's Arturo. Arturo, Arturo sorry. So you got Fuad, who's the dad, who's the big kingpin, and then you've Correct. got Arturo, who's the one who's been the senator or the ex-senator, I guess, and then you've got Alejandro, who's the one running once again for mayor of uh, Barranquilla,
0: and he also ran for president in right. 2022 unsuccessfully. Yes. Um. So so you know, there's there's a couple of issues. Above the surface and below the surface above the surface there's is this issue of press censorship because Lauda tried to get her book published through planeta editor, right. editores uh, and planeta after doing legal review after you know editing the book after designing a cover basically ready to go to print um, backed off the book yeah. and we don't know if it was uh, external pressure of other things but they said that the book was sort of a risky, a high risk for litigation, which, of course, it is. Yeah. But again, uh, Lauda had made sure to get the book vetted by yeah. lawyers and, and people doing the legal review to ascertain that what she was had written was, in fact, corroborated by evidence. Um, then that, So that's over the surface, right? There, there, yeah. there, there's a power that doesn't want these things out there published. Um, and then over the surface also... There's a huge scandal of how voting happens in the Caribbean coast, and arguably not only in the Caribbean coast. Maybe the Caribbean coast is the most egregious example of it. Uh, and the, and the, and the scandal um, with this uh, with this um, with this previous member of Congress, uh, I forget her name. Maybe you can Aida Merlano Aida. with Aida Merlano exposed the underbelly of how politics works in in, in the Caribbean coast, and it implicates directly. The, the Char family, because she was allegedly uh, his lover without getting into a lot of tenet, telenovela aspects of it. Um, but, you know, like they say in the United States, the chickens have come home to roost yeah. on, on, on this family that has been so powerful, eluded sort of any sort of real investigation into them. The question now is, A, will it affect Alex Char's candidacy for Mayor Barranquilla, which many people, including ourselves, say it's unlikely. Uh, B, will this change the way campaigns are run and financed in Colombia, which is also unlikely. And C, will, will it make voters hold their politicians to a higher account or exert more accountability onto, onto politicians. Uh, and so I think, you know, what Laura is attempting is is to get those three things to begin happening. And those things won't happen if we don't begin to change the political culture around local elections in Colombia. Ah,
1: that's a good one. See, I find it so fascinating. And I got uh, I got shouted down uh, before the first round of presidential elections last year by, you know, so, uh, a friend's father who's saying, you know, he, he's actually from Cartagena, but he's like, I'm voting for uh, uh, Alex Char for, in the first round because he gets things done. And I'm like, well, my uh, my response was, well, he gets some things done, but the, the actual social and uh, socioeconomic fabric of Barranquilla has not changed. And it's got one of the highest indices of actual misery in Colombia. And he's very good. The Chars are very good at doing, you know, the, the again, the, i would say the hallmark thing so you know down the rio the avenida del rio we all talk about that and that's taken the glare away from the people towards soledad and other places around there and and this this family have this family have controlled barranquilla and the surrounding areas for so long and of course through other politicians that they put into place uh, elsa noguera and others they've all been there and it just seems that I mean, I, I saw that, I guess it was Leon Valencia, of course, because he's definitely in opposition to the Char and so on, but saying this is the end, this is the fall of the House of Char. I don't think it's the fall of the House of Char, but I think uh, they're going to have to respond a little bit. And that brings me to, you know, just before this arrest warrant go- went out for Arturo uh, Char, uh, the Barranquilla's polling was saying that 83% were going to vote for Alejandro Char. And I'm always very, very skeptical of the voting at uh, uh, the polling uh, everywhere, but more, most definitely in Barranquilla. How, what do you think of this? So so the the chars have not only
0: been politically dominant in Barranquilla for the past couple of decades, but they're also economically and culturally dominant in Barranquilla, mm-hmm. They own the largest uh, supermarket chain in the Caribbean coast, Olimpica, and that gives them also huge power over all of their contractors and over all of their suppliers to sort of say, you know, Olimpica is a door. Olimpica is a a huge, has holds huge sway over, over things. And they also own the largest club in the coast, the Junior de Barranquilla, which has been Colombian champion. Uh, for, for a number of times. Yeah. Um, don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not a huge Colombian soccer fan, <laughs> but people in Barranquilla live and die for the future. Yeah. And so I think, I think this cultural, political and economic dominance of the char, uh, you know, this scandal is, is not going to topple this whole empire, but it will affect the reputation.
1: I mean, this is it, isn't it? I, one one comment about Olimpica and, of course, Junior Barranquilla is the same colors. It's amazing how the marketing and the image is the red and the white. So you've got Junior wearing the red and white striped shirt and Olimpica's colors, red, white, and some blue in there, too. So everything is thought through. Cool. I mean, you've got this brand recognition and then of course the brand recognition extends to these these works that they've done and most recently the Avenida del rio and barranquilla but i think this is all giving us an idea of uh you know what's going on in the country in general and of course you know right now it's all about the char in a couple of weeks time it could be all about uh, another constellation of elites and <coughs> political, uh, politically important families elsewhere in the country. So let's let's move on from the Caribbean coast, because we kind of know what's going to happen. I would say even with these issues, even with the lawyer Miguel Ángel de los Ríos, or whatever his name is, the one who is representing the former uh, senator, Aida Merlano, who has the dirt on the Char family, who has allegedly... Uh, received death threats who escaped from prison uh well she escaped while she was at a dental appointment it's quite an amazing it's on youtube you can look at it she sort of it's it's like a cartoon she sort of falls down out of the window along a sheet a bed sheet (laughs) and then there's a motorcycle to take her away but anyway i guess if i was uh you know had threats against my life i would do something similar um anyway she's got the dirt we're waiting for her to talk but of course, there's all sorts of impediments. But this sort of, you know, gives us an idea of how filthy things are uh, in political <laughs> political circles in Colombia. So perhaps we could take a bit more of an overview. What we're looking at is the local elections, 29th of October, definitely a litmus test on the presidency of Gustavo Petro for the governing uh, the governing party. It's not really even a governing party, I would say. Um, it, it doesn't look good i mean richard
0: let's just <laughs> compare numbers right for for the presidential elections and the elections for congress it's around 9000 candidates hmm. for 450 seats in congress and perhaps one seat as president and one seat as vice president for the local elections it's You know, over 120,000 candidates for 32 governorships, 418 departmental deputies, 1,102 mayors, and over 12,000 city council members. So this is is the election that moves the money in Colombia. This is the election where everybody participates. So when people say, oh, local politics, that's, you know, that's not that important. These are bellwether events. These are very important um, to determine the future of, of, of the country. And this is the first opportunity and perhaps the only opportunity voters are going to get to issue a referendum on President Pitt. And it happens every four years because in 2019, when President Duque was just out of his first year... Uh, the local elections worked against him. This was pre-COVID. They worked against him because mayors, left-wing mayors like Claudia Lopez, like Daniel Quintero, like Jorge Juan Ospina, like William Dow, were elected in the major cities of Colombia. But now, those left-wing mayors are now the incumbents. And also, they're ideologically similar or at least aligned more or less with Gustavo Petro to a greater or lesser degree, that's arguable, Uh, to to some. So these elections is like a double incumbency for the left. And that could become a major event uh, that may be taken as a bellwether for what's to happen in 2026 in our presidential election.
1: Yeah. And and we can see a lot of uh, moving behind the scenes. And one of the obvious figures is our old friend and favorite uh, Vargas Lleras. He seems to be moving. and he, I, Vargas Lleras, for those who don't know, is of the political nobility in Colombia. Uh, I would say that's the... And he th- sees it, Carlos Var- Vargas Lleras, as his birthright to become president. So I see him moving stuff here uh, for the local elections. Because as you say, this is where the contracts go. This is where things happen on the ground. And of course, when he was vice president under President Juan Manuel Santos all those years ago, he was again, we go back to this this uh, word, the branding. He had very good uh, branding for himself. He was the one who uh, well, I mean, put up the social housing in a lot of these places. And also he was there overseeing the renovation and modernization of ports and airports. So this is, again, very visible. But, of course, this, we back to the char again. Uh, this uh, char uh, link, and, of course, he's very linked to the char, can't be good for him, but he is still moving and mobilizing and there's a long way to go. But how do you feel that he's he's moving and shaking in the, in this period uh, uh, Sergio.
0: Well, I think Cambio Radical and other parties that are in opposition see these elections and they, they, they think that they have an advantage, like an anti-incumbent advantage over the government. Cambio Radical, I don't know if you follow them on Twitter, have been very bold, very salacious uh, on and very, very smart about attacking Petro's weaknesses. Now, how can they have the high ground over Petro? when one of their leaders has now been indicted and has an interpol red notice um and so you know this all shows the, the, the hodgepodge of hypocrisy that goes on um around colombian politics but obviously these 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 traditional parties are going to act much more opportunistically than they are following sort of like ideological purity or ideological tenets and and you know to to get to to to, to something we've said and we can touch on this in in, in a bit, Um, I think political parties are largely discredited in Colombia. Mm -hmm. Um, Both political parties and Congress are two of the most despised institutions by Colombian public opinion. They only have slightly worse uh, disapproval ratings than the ELN. Uh, And who trumps them all is Nicolás Maduro. So so (laughs) that's probably one of the only things that we can all agree on. Uh, Nicolás Maduro sucks. Um, the ELN is is horrible. Uh, we hate Congress and we hate politicians. So you know, this is not a, a good place to be in. Uh,
1: it's I, I I like this very much. And one thing before we get into this this issue of, of political parties, it's so difficult to get into a level headed debate with anyone because it's all and I and I and I stand by this. It's it's just what aboutism time and time again i say well okay you know you sort of say okay uh, the child has is is as the uh, interpol red notice and then they go well but what about nicolas petro the the president's son and then you go well listen look, vargas yeras is con- very connected the, with cambio radical there in barranquilla yes but what about laura saravia and then and it goes on and on and on so we can't even have a level debate because there's just no you know, there's nowhere to meet. Uh, aside from if we put aside these problems and just said, everybody's corrupt and everybody stinks. Um, but okay, so the whataboutism is my big issue here, because you can't, again, you, you just can't say anything But with because someone will come back with the next or the le- latest nefarious activity by one of these politicians. Nobody seems to be clean. But let's talk about that. Let's talk about the political parties. The Liberal Party is no longer liberal. The Conservative Party is more than conservative. The Center Democratic Party is hard right. Uh, the Camp- Cambio Radical, a radical change, is right. Uh, uh, what else have we got? Uh, the Green Party is not a green I mean, party. <laughs> the, the, so one of the one of the concerning
0: things about political parties is that in Colombia there's. Now more than thirty-five political parties, thirty-six political parties. Uh, last time we counted, because after we wrote this report, which was last week, right? Uh, Ernesto Samper, uh, the former president of Colombia, uh, got his own political party. Oh yeah. So yeah, yep, What's that yep. Now? I have no idea. Uh, does, it like, does it even matter? The- does Little it even matter?
1: National truth or something? I don't
0: know. <laughs> no, I have no idea. The, the point is, you know, we have 36 political parties. Right. 21 of those political parties are less than two year, two and a half years old. So these are new movements. Political parties, in the whole theory of parties of lipset, parties are supposed to divide society or the, the crevices of societies are supposed to be taken over by parties. because they group people with different ideas in them. But a long time ago in Colombia, parties stopped being about ideas and started being about people, about charismatic leaders who didn't get their way in one of the traditional parties. And so they started a, 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 a defection. Nothing more clear than Cambio Radical, which is a party that concentrates both conservatives and liberals and sort of puts them together to act sort of like as a middle way party, right? Mm -hmm. But then we have parties like the Green Party, which is the renaissance of the old M19 Party. We have parties like the U Party, which was, you know, it's not the U because of nationalism. It's the U because of Uribe, right? (laughs) But then that was taken over by Santos. And then Uribe created his own political party. After that, the Centro Democrático, that has his sort of shade, like his figure, as central to the party's logo, and now the party is like, oh we're, we're not, we're not the party of Alvaro Uribe. It's like, excuse me, the the man is in your logo, yeah, exactly. right? Um, but now we have, you know, twenty political parties in uh, Marcha for Juan Fernando Cristo, Fuerza Ciudadana for Caicedo, La Fuerza de la Paz belonging to Roy Barreras. El movimiento de Ciudadanos Anticorrupción, La Liga de Ciudadanos Anticorrupción, that was Rodolfo Hernandez, and it has like a pie in the middle of it Dignidad, eh, Robledo, Colombia Humana, Petro, Nuevo Liberalismo, De Galán, Salvación Nacional, from the old Gomez family. You know, Federico Gutierrez has his own party. Daniel Quintero has his own party. Like, you know, are they really parties that divide societies into ideas? Or are they parties that sort of like represent charismatic leadership? And the problem is, you know, like you said, the conservative party is is, is conservative, but they're not defending conservative ideas if they have sided with Gustavo Petro in his first year of government. (laughs) The liberal party is not really liberal if they have anti-abortion evangelists as head of the lists, right? Uh, And they're also part of Gustavo Petro's party. Uh, and Gustavo Petro's ruling coalition. So so these parties, for a very long time, have stopped being about ideas and become more about
1: charismatic leadership. I've got Ernesto Samper's uh, party. It's called Poder Popular. There you go. So it sounds like a guerrilla group. Um, <laughs> <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> you didn't say that. I said that. It's okay. Poder Popular, so Popular Power Party. Uh, so again, and that is to be built on his image. And that's it, isn't it? Again, branding and marketing and the populist uh, nature of it. And this is really, are we going down the road of Peru then? Were, were we going to have 200 parties by the next uh, general uh, national election?
0: Yes, we could. And, and in the report that we put out, we mentioned a couple of reasons why, why that could be. Mm-hmm. First is because now uh, candidates now understand that they can campaign without parties. Yeah, they can actually run on on signatures as independents, and then if they win elections, if they win city council seats, the national electoral council will probably give your party like legal standing, yeah, um, at least for the next four years. And that gives you that gives you access to state resources. That gives you access to if you declare yourself in opposition to the right of reply to the government, etc. Uh, but it also gives you the power to endorse people to elections. And that's very powerful. But it also takes away uh, accountability. So who's accountable? Say there's a mayor in the middle of a town in Antioquia that ends up having ties with paramilitary organizations. And then he was endorsed by 10 political parties. Who's accountable for that? Like Who vetted that guy? Who who actually understood his, his name? And there's a lot of there's a lot of controversy around this because if he if he's endorsed by the liberal party by the conservative like all we need is for one candidate somewhere in Colombia to be endorsed by, both by the FARC and the Centro Democrático for this to be like holy shit you know it's it's completely crazy so there's no organization around this party system some people have tried saying oh we need to have closed lists and. The parties need to properly vet people in those post lists. But some of those post lists have given us the worst members of Congress we have, (laughs) that their merit to be on the list isn't that they're smart or that they're ideologically driven or or that they're prepared even. It's that they are good at Twitter and are good at getting likes or they're pretty or they in, in an event. Uh, they 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 did something that was noteworthy. We've had members of the sports community that have become members of Congress in Colombia. Members like a, we also like a, have celebrities, former TV telenovela stars that became politicians. So the, the the lack of seriousness of the parties and the politics is is getting out of hand.
1: So is there someone from Betty Lafaea who's in politics?
0: No, it's uh, it's Escaf. Um, ah, Escaf,
1: Escaf yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. What, what so they, he I he's also you? a member of the of the Pact Histórico, and he's in the seventh commission. So Agmeth yeah. Escaf, who now gets to decide on our pensions and our healthcare, uh, is, is, is 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 a person who has no merit of being in politics, yeah. uh, and he essentially was 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 a TV star. It's yeah, okay. So it's like if the U.S. elected Tom Brady senator and he was the breaking vote uh, in the Senate over defense spending. Right. Like, he,
1: Yeah. The, the wrestling guy that got elected was it into into like Minnesota or somewhere.
0: Uh, no, there was there was. So there was a comedian. His name was Al Franken. Al Franken did get elected as senator in Minnesota and he resigned over sexual harassment allegations.
1: I would like to see Pedro El Escamoso in uh in government, uh, I know, he would get elected. Know, no know, doubt about I, I'm it. Doing his dance up on the tarima. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone hasn't seen that, uh, again, YouTube. We'll put it up. Uh, it's Pedro El Escamoso. Ah, eso es lo mio, uh, and it's his dance. He does. <laughs> anyway, we we. I digress. I I do think we need to take all of this with some humor because it is quite despairing. Actually, I think uh, more than ever this time around, I'm not feeling. Well, I've never felt particularly positive about the local elections uh, because, you know, I'm involved in in business in the coast. And the last time we had local elections, my house was rented to the governor of Bolivar. And he called in all of the prospective uh, mayors of all the surrounding areas in Bolivar, all these tiny little towns and basically told them who was going to win and basically told them how it was going to go and of course it all panned out like that so the whole region was planned and executed it on the second floor of my home in Montpos i mean that it gives me a, a real degree of negativity and lack of hope and it's this whole it's this whole uh belief and it goes to to every region as well. Well, yeah, they're corrupt, but they get they do things. You know, they're corrupt, but they're not as corrupt as the next people. And I think that gives us it feeds in quite nicely to your thing about the parties as well. Who is accountable for anything? You can't hold anyone accountable if they're backed both by the comunes or the FARC, uh political wing now, or and the centro democráticos so or the hard right. How would you possibly hold anyone? accountable and, and i can see things happening like that maybe not exactly like that but around the area like san vicente kaiwan in the south in caqueta which has always been in a in a in a uh, you know a pull and, and a tug of war between the the farc itself and of course the hard right uh, the paramilitaries and so it seems very uh what can i say I, are we going to despair sergio is this so, is there something positive coming out here <laughs>
0: Unfortunately, Richard, I don't have good news for you. I, You know, I, the, the way we're seeing these local elections, we see four major trends um, emerging. The first one is there's going to be more political violence as a result uh, in the run-up to these elections that are likely going to affect um, the, the tide, potentially not in the major cities, but definitely in the rural areas mm-hmm. where where... You know, the FARC dissidences, the ELN and the Clan del Golfo make present. They're they're likely to exert pressure on some of those candidates. And we may, you know, in, in Ecuador, presidential candidates have gotten killed, local elections candidates have gotten killed. We 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 have twelve mayors uh, governing from outside of the municipalities in Colombia because of threats from, from from some of these groups. And so this is not out of the question that there could be um Violence affecting the electoral uh, turnout or or the outcome in some places. Mm. The second is mm. you know this issue of party erosion that is likely to continue, and and we do see political parties as weak, um, and and that weakening is is not lessening, it's not reducing, it's it's it's, it's increasing, and so the, the the governability of the country is. I mean, we're not at risk of not being a democracy, but we're at risk of, of losing representatives in that democracy by virtue of these political parties being being less ideologically driven or driven by ideas, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third is the issue of polling, and we don't have enough polls. You know, we perhaps have polling of the major city, but show me the last poll of Mopps, Richard. Uh, is there any polls of Montpoux?
1: No, we don't know. Uh, the two front runners are backed by the Char family, and the second one is backed by the Montes family. So there you go.
0: Right. <laughs> and so and so polling is is frequent and it's it's credible in some of the major cities, but elsewhere throughout the country, polling is sporadic, sometimes non-existent at all, and it gives candidates, malicious actors, opportunities to put fake or unregistered polls in their social media and say, hey, look, I'm winning. So there's a bunch of opportunities for disinformation. Um and voters are motivated by 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 polling and by polling trends, right? Uh and so fake polls or, or unregistered polls uh, can have an effect. And and what we argue is not whether whether you like polls or not. The argument is there should be more polls. Yeah. And not just of the major cities, but but throughout. Yeah. And so you'll get a poll of Bogotá every two weeks or every week, whatever. Uh, but you won't get a poll of Cundinamarca, not even Cundinamarca. You won't get a poll of Ibagué, Mayor. You won't get a poll of Mocoa. You won't get a poll of Cúcuta. You won't get a poll of Montería. Yeah.
1: It's and very these are unlike- key places. I mean, key economic driving places. It's, it's, you know, all of them in that. The ones. Yeah. mentioned. There are so many more. And then what's point four, Sergio?
0: Point four is that the local elections will be a referendum on President Petro. And a referendum which, if voting were were to happen today, he would lose uh, quite significantly. Mm -hmm. But the question is, what happens after he loses, right? Because President Petro is not one to take kindly to political adversaries. And we've seen that in different places. So how will funding for large projects like the Bogota Metro be conditioned or restrained by a President Petro who does not like whoever wins in, in Bogota? How will that work when his adversary for the presidential elections in 2022, Federico Gutierrez, becomes mayor of Medellin and strongly opposes Petro, taking the mayoralty away from Daniel Quintero, or close ally of Petro? How will sort of like the energy regulation of EPM, which is owned by the city of Medellin, um, become more strict? How will that affect uh, these 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 issues. How will that affect sort of uh, financing structures by the different cities, municipal bonds, departmental bonds, uh, and loans? The the standing of state-owned enterprises like the Grupo Energía Bogotá or like EPM. You know, people don't really look at this in in depth, but this is all sort of in the ballot too.
1: It's and when we if we I mean you've got these four points which are very clear. When we look at the polling. And we look at the disinformation these trends uh it does seem to me i mean there does seem to be a pretty negative attitude in the press towards gustavo petro and his supporters it, when you look at any poll i mean that comes out for the major cities or so on and so forth or any article it does seem to be a very negative uh, perspective. Can we can we say that there is media manipulation going on?
0: I mean, I I think the media establishment, owned by very few sort of corporatist um, individuals or, or or people with ties into old money and big big money, um, has for, for for many many years. Try to influence voter preferences. Mm. And I think Gustavo Petro sort of breaks with that very, very aggressively. Uh, and I do think the media establishment is, you know, is, is viewing Gustavo Petro very negatively. Mm. However, I don't think that that tells the full story because there's a lot of organizations like La Silla Vacía, yeah. um, like Boragine, uh, like 070, Setenta, uh, like Linterna Verde, that are looking at governance like, like us, that are looking at government not from a from a from a point of view of we're defending economic interests, but from a point of view of political analysis. And I think if we look at the political analysis, um, Gustavo Petro has done a lot to disenfranchise um the members of the business community. He has offered very few tangible results for low- income people. He's offered more subsidies, yes, but some of these subsidies have become more complicated to get because he wants to statize the way that sub- subsidies are handed out uh, through the Banco Agrario, the state-owned bank, and not through the private sector uh, banks, etc. That's That's made m- more difficult for people to get some of these um, a- subsidies. And so, you know, on, on par, Gustavo Petro's administration has not been better than average. It's, mm-hmm. in fact, been worse than average. Uh, and so... The, th- the, the, the thing is then when analysts write about that, the easiest way to accuse them is say, oh, you work for Sarmiento," Angu. Oh, you work for, you know, the Kulinsky's," mm-hmm. Oh, you work with, you know, for, for so what and so forth. Um, and some some journalistic outlets do it. yeah. yeah. Right? So it, it becomes a very easy cop-out to say. This is why independent journalism, like the one you do at Columbia Calling, uh, is so important to support by by the people who are listening to this. This is why subscriptions to Columbia risk analysis are an important point uh, for us to continue doing this work, to continue, you know, telling the
1: truth. I think the best way I've still heard of summing this up was, was said, and it was actually in the interview I did for the Latin News podcast with Jenny Pierce, the professor or research professor at London School of Economics, she said, you know, it's the tradition and the culture of transactional politics in Colombia. And I think that's it, isn't it? It just keeps, you know, you, you pat my back, I'll pat your back, and et cetera, et cetera. And on it goes. And, of course, Petro came in not wishing to pat anyone's backs. And uh, that has come back. And as you say, the referendum on his, on his uh, presidency and his government, of course, not looking very positive. Uh, I don't think we need to say any more, unfortunately. Well, actually, let's just do one quick thing. Um, Mayor of Bogotá, your prediction.
0: Anybody who runs against Gustavo Bolívar in the runoff election, that is not Diego Molano.
1: Wow, that's, that's, that's a bold call, and I and I like it. <laughs> I like it. Um, I don't like Diego Molano. I don't like Gustavo Bolívar. I don't like uh, – there's a, plenty of them I don't like, I have to say. <laughs> there's plenty of them. Um I don't know. I I don't know. I, you know, all these different hidden agendas in there and, diff- again, political uh, godfathers in there and so on and so forth. And a tough time for us ahead here in Bogota and, of course, elsewhere in the country. Check out Colombia Risk Analysis' most recent report on the elections. It can be found on the website, right? There's a, a way of just downloading the PDF there on the website in English or in Spanish. Uh, usually, I no, undeniably the best uh, uh, analysis of local elections out there available. So Columbia Risk Analysis, just look them up online, put that into Google. Very, very easy. Follow them on Twitter, Columbia Risk. And uh, yeah, everybody everywhere else, check out Sergio Guzman as well on Twitter because he's always tweeting about politics and so on. And for, yeah, you know, if you're a business or if you represent someone, yeah, get them to sign up, get them to sign up for Columbia Risk Analysis and help out other independent. Uh, outlets out there. And of course, if you want to support us, that's www.patreon.com forward slash Columbia calling. We are always very, very grateful for anything you can throw our way, uh, especially Emily and myself. Sergio, thank you so much for your time and your clarity i mean i know i've been a bit muddled today but it's just so much going on every single day the news agenda seems to just sort of leap forward another sort of several kilometers with a scandal or a revelation or something and honestly it's giving me a bit of a headache <laughs> that's that's
0: why i have a job richard so more than happy
1: to 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 help uh
0: put some put some clarity, clarity. into this and also, uh, how dazzling many people, in context. How many people do you have working for you now, sir? We're we're a staff of ten now. Amazing! So I yeah, I started working at a Juan Valdez by myself with a computer, and now we're ten people. So and, and now you can definitely... to go to
1: more uh, uh, you know specialist coffee shops. <laughs> i still go to Juan this i like it it's, okay. it's good coffee very good very good sergio guzman thank you so much the director of colombia risk analysis i've been richard McCall on this episode 486 uh, a jovial if uh despairing look at the elections coming up on the 29th of october so of course everybody keep an eye out for that i realize that the last couple of episodes have been quite hardcore uh yes of course we had uh Maria Fitzgerald talking about her book, Los Nombres Que Olvidamos. Prior to that, we had Ricardo Cubides of Coles talking about uh, the violence in the region of the Canal del Dique. We do promise to mix it up a little bit more, but that's what's been going on in the country at the moment. And uh, I'm sure, Emily, we will be back as well with some great interviews. And, of course, if you want to recommend or suggest anyone, we are all ears. So thank you again for listening, and goodbye. The Columbia Calling podcast is sponsored by Latin News, a leading source of political and economic analysis on Latin America and the Caribbean since 1967. Their flagship publication, the Latin American Weekly Report, provides a behind-the-scenes briefing on all the week's key developments throughout the region. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at latinnews.com. We are also sponsored by... BNB Colombia Tours, which is a leading tour operator providing a wonderful range of exclusive small group shared tours for those over 50, along with customizable private tours to both popular and off-the-map destinations throughout this beautiful and diverse country. If you're interested in experiencing one of their unforgettable journeys through Colombia, be it a shared tour with like-minded travelers or creating a unique, Private package of your own, just complete the form on the Columbia Calling website, that's www.columbiacalling.co, or the BNB Columbia Tours website, that's www.bnbcolumbia.com, and they'll be in touch within 24 hours to answer all of your questions and to start the planning of your exclusive Colombian adventure. So that's bnbcolumbia.com and Latin News. Thank you for supporting our sponsors.